Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Beat. And if you heard uh, the train whistles or engines rolling down the tracks, that would be the Joe Milton hype train that's left the station. I am, of course, Nick Baumgartner, along with Austin Meek. After Austin, I gotta say, that was impressive. I don't know how else to put it. I usually start these seasons by saying, everybody just calm down and sit back in your seat. But you know what? After the 2020 everyone's had, and the effort Michigan put forth in a 49-24 win, especially offensively, uh, I don't know how else to say it. That was very, very impressive from not only Joe Milton, uh, but everybody everybody on offense uh, that Michigan put out there. We've all earned this, haven't we? Yeah, uh, the last yeah. uh, 10 months, it, you know, it's it's been rough on everybody. Uh, so the chance just to sit back a little bit and uh, feel good about things. I think everybody's entitled to do that. So I'm with you. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to be here today telling anybody to uh, you know, to temper your expectations or you know, trying to point out the flaws or anything because hey, it it took a long time for Michigan football to finally be here. Uh, for a couple hours Saturday night, people got to turn on that game, watch a quarterback who looks like he could be the real deal. Uh, go out there and, and lead Michigan to a, a road victory against a pretty good team, uh, and they looked pretty good doing it. Just not you know not a lot to nitpick about that yeah. performance at all. Uh, about as emphatic an opening statement as you could make for Jim Harbaugh's team. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll start with Milton here because he was the he was the main event and the guy we all sort of were wondering about, and we talked so many times on this show about you know whether or not we believed that Michigan was trying to talk itself into thinking Milton was ready or whether or not it was real. And, you know, like you said, we're <laughs> there's just not a lot to nitpick here. I mean, you know, for a day one start, you know, never done this before um, in a pandemic year with limited all this stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe in some ways the, 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 the ability to focus just on what's in front of them, you know, helped Michigan a lot. But, I mean, Joe Milton's confidence in the pocket his feet were calm if Minnesota gave him the middle of the field he attacked it he was you know comfortable with his reads when they needed to get out of something they got into the right stuff I just I mean he may have if Gaddis I'm sure and I know you know we know Josh Gaddis now for a little more than a year and we know he'll find things that you know he thinks Milton maybe can improve on I'm sure and obviously there's going to be room for him to improve and he's got to do it again but he brought a level of comfortability and confidence to all areas of the field, and you could see it from every player on the team. I mean, like Harbaugh today, earlier today, Austin says that you know Ben Mason got up in the locker room and said, gave a little speech before the game about you know you know Joe, this is your night, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that you know it goes well for you. And you know that's one guy making a speech, but from what we watched on the field, it sounds like every single player on that sideline who had you know, an offensive assignment basically would have echoed the same exact thing. It just, it felt like everybody was all in for one thing together completely, no selfish anything, and everybody executed. I don't know how else to put it. That was his, that was the most impressive offensive debut that Michigan's had under Jim Harbaugh. And for a first-time starting quarterback, uh, that's probably the most impressive one that Michigan's had. I mean, since probably Denard, I would think. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I tried to search through it and... You know, Big Ten opponent on the road at night. There's just not a lot to nitpick. He was outstanding. If you didn't watch the game, if you just looked at the numbers, you might say, well, what's all this talk about Joe Milton? You know, 15 for 22, 225 yards, a touchdown, 52 yards on the ground. If you actually watched the game, though, I think the things that you saw with Joe Milton go so far beyond just the numbers that he put up, and, and you hit on it, it's the... 
just how cool and collected he looked in the pocket, the command that he had uh, of the offense, how smooth he was in the running game. I mean, you watched him when he got going north and south at, at 6'5 and 240 pounds. Yeah. There's not a lot of teams that, that are going to be able to to bring him down, you know, before he gets four or five yards. I mean, that is a huge element of Michigan's offense that we didn't see last year with Shea Patterson, and, and it opens up so much. And it just, you didn't, the way I put it in my story, you know, he didn't necessarily have any huge flashy plays, you know, highlights that you're going to watch over and over again. But there was enough there to say, those plays are coming with Joe Milton, which we expected that. You know, We knew that he could do that. We knew he could throw the ball a mile. The question was, is he going to have the command of the offense? And I, to me, that was answered. I mean, I, he was so much smoother and, and so much more in control than I expected that all the other stuff now, I think you know, that's going to come. He's going to make the, the huge highlight plays. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's going to hit some downfield shots. There are a couple plays, you know, if Eric All catches a ball, if, if Ronnie Bell doesn't stumble, you know, the stats could have looked a you know, even better than they did. Uh, but to me, all that is secondary. What stood out was just you know, the, the poise that he showed and the way that he commanded that offense. Yeah, and I think I, I would also note on top of all that, that, you know, with that poise and everything else, the one thing I sort of, you know, wondered about, you know, you mentioned it also the big play, the the big arm, all the talent that we know he has. Um, and I wondered, you know, is, is he going to, you know, sometimes with these guys that have these huge arms, like sometimes they trust their arm like even too much to a point, right? Where they try to fit something where it, where it probably just shouldn't go because they think they can get it there, um, you know, and all those types of things. But I, I will say this, Minnesota didn't do a lot to make, you know, Milton have to, you know, back off on certain reads or check check away or really scan a lot of stuff. He didn't, you know, they didn't make him change it up too much uh, when he was dropped back and he didn't drop back a ton. It was only 22 times. But I thought Gaddis did a terrific, and I mean, like, I'll stress that again, terrific job of keeping Joe Milton in situations where he was going to have clean reads. They were going to be pretty easy, you know, pretty self-explanatory. It was like, this is not, we're not going to make you be in a situation where you feel like you have to improv, you know? And I think that by taking a lot of that off of his shoulders and saying, if you just, you know, and I'm sure this is what they've drilled over the last several weeks and months. If you, if you just stick with what we're teaching you to do here and understand the concept of what we're trying to run, then this is going to become really clear for you and you're not going to have to go off schedule and you're not going to have to force things. You're not going to have to bail out of a pocket because it's, you know, that maybe you get skittish on or whatever. That all combined with, I think, Milton's kind of natural ability to be calm anyway, um, really seems to just unlock all of this in a game like that. I mean, it, I mean, Minnesota, Michigan's got better talent, I think, than Minnesota. I think we all can probably agree with that, especially at the line of scrimmage. I mean, that game was probably over the minute Ben Mason, uh, Jalen Mayfield, and uh, Stuber just completely collapsed the, the whole right side of their line <laughs> yeah. on that 70-yard touchdown run. But Gaddis's game plan and just the, the ability to sort of keep Milton right where you want him, to where he's he's taken enough chances that you're, you're okay with, but he's not getting greedy. He's not doing anything that's totally off script, and he's making the right reads and just getting you in and out of stuff and the ball keeps moving. I mean, that was uh, Gaddis and Harbaugh. They kept, they could not have asked, I don't think for a better start to a year from a guy, given all these circumstances. Um, I don't know how much more confidence Joe Milton needed. <laughs> I don't think he did need much because I think he was already pretty confident, but he's got all he can handle now because uh, that was, I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than a, a complete 
completely impressive effort all the way across the board. And I think it's safe to say, Austin, that, you know, Gaddis possibly here has found kind of the missing piece that really ties everything they want to do together in, in you know, in possibly Joe Milton. I'm going to hit you with some stats here because I'm working on this for a story for tomorrow. So we've talked a ton about explosive plays and the need for Michigan's offense to generate more explosive plays. And I think mm-hmm. that that was the big thing that they needed to accomplish in the offseason was make this a more explosive offense. So Michigan did not have a single run of more than 50 yards last year. Mm-hmm. They had two of them in the first game, 70 yards for Zach Charbonnet, 66 mm-hmm. for Hassan Haskins. So they're already, that explosiveness they're looking for in the running game showed up. Michigan had seven plays of 20 yards or longer. That was the most of any Big Ten team in the yep. opening weekend. So we're seeing it already. Uh, you know, We're seeing the potential for this offense to, you know, to, to be able to – make those plays and you know gain yards in chunks and that was you know we saw that at times last year mm-hmm. but we didn't see it consistently enough and to me it's you know it's impressive that they did that in an opening game uh, against a good team you know and it just you know it, it all looked easy you know they, yeah. they just made it look easy and I've, you've watched way more Michigan football than I have but when was the last time we said that that Michigan yeah. made things look easy on offense uh, Denard Robinson. That's yeah. it. I mean, that's the last time. I mean, if you're Denard, Devin Gardner had a couple moments at the end of the 2012 season that, you know, had people excited. Um, but really from a true functioning, you know, the whole deal, I don't know. I mean, like Harbaugh had some moments at the end of, you know, the year with Rudock when it finally started to click. They had some nice days with Shea Patterson during that 10-game win streak, but nothing like this. I mean, I think that the, the the presence of a quarterback that's that big, you know, 6'5", 240, whatever, uh, and Milton's not running any 40-yard dashes that are going to knock people, you know, off their feet. But it's just, I mean, he's plenty fast enough. He can absorb contact. You don't have to run him, you know, 20 times a game. You only have to do it like four or five. But, I mean, the fact that everyone knows that they have those design runs in there, he can make, you know, run reads and all this sort of thing, they're just... Nine guys catching 15 passes. They have they have so many guys who can do so who can do everything that they want to do. That's I think my biggest takeaway is that Haskins, Charbonnet, Corum, Evans are four running backs who all four of them can do any single thing that you want to call. So if you put any of them on the field, it's not a tell. It's all you know positional diversity and all that sort of thing. And you go to the receivers and it's the same thing. Ronnie Bell, uh, Roman Wilson, Ev- uh, Jackson, Sainer, Still Henning. Uh, all these guys they put in, they none of these guys signal like, oh, so and so's in the game, they're doing this, or so you know, such and such is in the game, they're going to do that. All of them can do everything, and I think that it was an underrated thing that we sort of talked about a little bit, you know, this summer that you don't have Donovan Peoples Jones anymore, anymore, who was a terrific athlete, and you don't have Nico anymore, who obviously was a, a, an amazing downfield, you know, receiver. But those guys were not recruited to play in this offense. This offense operates better when you have guys like these quick twitch, you know, backs and receivers who can sort of line up in all different areas and do all different things. And when you have a quarterback who you have to pay attention to what he's doing, you know, in the ground game, it's, they become suddenly an incredibly difficult team to prepare for and plan for. And all the stuff that we've talked about for a year, you got to find a way to get enough bullets in your pocket to where if you have to go into a shootout, you're going to have enough in there. And not that this was a shootout, Austin, but Minnesota started moving the ball. And they started you know, coming up with answers in the second half. 
And none of it mattered because Michigan had more every time they got the ball back. That's football in 2020. That's college football in today's game. We talked about it a ton last year, early on in the season, about how there are so many teams in so many areas of the country that have offenses that always find answers. And Michigan just hasn't been able to do that until Saturday. And, you know, we'll see if it can continue over these next seven games, COVID's uncertainty, all these other things. But that's a pretty significant thing. And I think for Michigan, it really changes possibly, you know, the outlook for their season and, you know, their future kind of long-term here. I mean, Milton's not a senior, so, you know, this is this is a different deal now. Think about the, the big storylines of the preseason, the things we heard about Michigan in the preseason. It was, it was the running back group, a, a deep running back group, a more explosive running back group. It was the offensive line potentially yeah. being more athletic and being able to replace those four starters without missing a beat. It was the receivers being interchangeable, deep, fast, mm-hmm. explosive in space. It was the defensive line being improved. It was Michael Barrett being a yep. difference maker at Viper. It was Vince Gray and Jamon Green being able to hoard, hold down the cornerback spots. All of those things we talked about in the preseason. And look, we know that when you hear that stuff and you haven't seen it, you have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. And I think if you'd asked me before the game, I would have said, you know, if about half of that stuff pans yeah. out, you probably yeah. feel pretty good. I have to say, you know, pretty much everything that we talked about mm-hmm. as the potential of what Michigan could be, you know, we saw glimpses of it. Uh, we saw things to, to back it up. You know, maybe they're not a finished product in some areas. Maybe there's aspects of it. Uh, that you know that still need to continue to develop, but really all of the all of the things we heard about in the preseason, we saw something to substantiate it. Obviously, starting with number one, Joe Milton, and everything we heard about Joe. Yeah, that's a great point because it, it really did. I mean, it was that you know every time they would say we're excited about this guy or that guy, it just went back into the well. You've said that a thousand times about a thousand different guys. But I mean, across the board, I mean, it's like you know all the guys that were sort of question marks of whether or not. You know, is this guy going to step up and, and finally do something when he when it's his time? Like Mike Barrett, like you mentioned, you know, Harbaugh today mentioned that uh, Mike Barrett was the first player since Peppers, uh, Jabril Peppers, to have the Defensive Player of the Week and Special Teams Player of the Week in-house there. So that's impressive. Um, and then, yeah, I just – it's across the board. I mean, I, and the offensive line, I guess, is probably the other one that was the big sort of circle in the middle, right, where it was like, you know, that, you know, if Mayfield's back, you know that that's going to be fine. Ryan Hayes has played before and, you know, still has to develop and still has some things that he has to work on. But for the most part, you trusted that, you know, he was probably going to be ready. But Vastardis, Stuber, and, you know, um, Chuck Filiaga, namely Vastardis and Filiaga, were the two big question marks offensively. And it was just kind of like, you know, well, if they don't have to be dominant, but if they can just sort of hang in there and give them what they give them what they want then they're going to be just fine. And, you know, Stuber at times on the ground was was dominant. The Stardust was solid. Filiaga was solid. And then, you know, Ben Mason was, I mean, my, I I think I like forgot about Ben Mason. And then suddenly he's back in there as an H-back uh, slash fullback, whatever you want to call him. And it was a perfect fit for him. I just, th- this is, it worked out in some ways kind of by happenstance and chance. You know, Gaddis came here and Michigan already had some of these guys on the roster, and I was never sure what they were going to do with them, like Giles Jackson, Sanders Stills, I, I, some of these other guys, and they've since recruited more of them. But the roster fits 
what Josh Gaddis wants to do so well, and we could see it at the end of last year at times. And I, you know, I don't want to make this into like a dinging thing on Shea Patterson, but Shea Patterson is six foot, two hundred pounds. He's not six five, two forty. He was never going to give you the the run, you know, the run layer that you really need to make this thing really dynamic. And now you have that, and it really just it raises all boats. Even if you have a mistake here and there, everything doesn't have to be perfect. The way they scheme things up in space. It all comes down to one-on-ones. If you can just get some of these athletes in a one-on-one matchup, like the first play of the game, the the fake to uh, Charbonnet on the zone play, and then they come back to Blake Corum in the flat, and all they're asking him to do is beat one linebacker, and it's a 20-something yard game. And he beats the linebacker, and it's a 20, 18, 24-yard game, whatever it was. That's it. It's really that simple sometimes. And, you know, Michigan right now, anyway, it looks like they just they have all the, the right guys in the right seats. Uh, all pointed forward and uh, offensively for a lot of fans out there. I know that this was a long time coming. People had gotten exhausted with this start and stop stuff with the, you know, when is a quarterback finally going to look like he's ready to play football and when is everybody around him going to be ready to go? And, you know, that's as smooth as that's as smooth an early season game as I've seen from Harbaugh here, probably number one on the list. And, you know, as smooth as probably I've been doing this in my 10th season. That's probably the best debut uh, Michigan offense has had since I've been doing this for sure. You asked Jim Harbaugh today about the value of continuity mm-hmm. and how much it meant for Michigan staff to have everybody coming back in this yeah. off season when the normal routines were so disruptive. And I do think that that's such a big thing that Michigan's entire offensive staff was really able to dig in in this off season and and prepare in a way that maybe you wouldn't be able to do yeah. in a normal off season. And, you know, and we've said it for weeks now. If everything we heard about how they prepared and how focused this team was during the shutdown and how they kept working even when the season was canceled, you know, they they didn't go home, they kept working, they kept showing up every day. If all of that stuff was true, we felt like that really should translate in the opening game. And it did. Michigan looked like the more prepared team. You know, they looked like the team that has been just steadily progressing during these last eight to 10 weeks when a lot of teams have gone through a lot of different things. And, you know, Minnesota's COVID situation, we don't know exactly the specifics there, but they were shorthanded, not an excuse. Everybody's dealing with it to some degree, Uh, you know, but Minnesota, you know, looked like a team that was missing some pieces and maybe hadn't been able to prepare the way that, that they wanted to. And, I feel like that's going to be so much of mm. of this season, and it's really added such a you know, a layer of unpredictability to this this Big Ten season. Is it's not just you know, the talent you've recruited, it's not just you know the team that you had in place at the end of last season. It's also how did you navigate this whole time? And there's a lot of variation, you know, in teams that have weathered it somewhat smoothly, and teams that have really had a hard time with it. And I think we have to say, it looks like Michigan came out of this about as well as you possibly could expect. Yeah, we said it a few times on this show. I know we did because we talked about it even back in like May and June. The the, the teams with the best teachers on staff were going to have an advantage. And bringing back all those coaches offensively and considering the fact that we said, I mean, you know, you have Ed Warner on this staff. You know, I think we've both come around on, you know, we've gotten to know Josh Gaddis a little bit over the last year and a half, and he is a smart, smart football coach who knows what he's doing. You know, we talked to him in 
I think even during quarantine, somewhere early in spring, and he was talking about all the stuff that he was diving into when you know because he couldn't recruit, couldn't go out there, and so it's all this extra time. And at the end of the day, I I just in terms of the players, you know, we've seen this in the six years or whatever now that Harbaugh's been here. Um, he and really his entire coaching career, Jim Harbaugh's best work has always come when he has found a way to get his roster to share the tunnel vision with the blinders on about nothing else in your life right now matters other than football, the way that he does, you know, the way that he kind of carries himself. When he gets a roster or a team that that shares that with him and doesn't get like tired of it, you know, and doesn't get like, this is a bit much or, you know, whatever. If he can get guys to really sort of get in tune with him on that sort of, let's just all forget everything else in our lives and focus on nothing but this then he usually does really well. I mean, that was the first team was like that. The second team was like that. And then it started to slip. And that was the stuff that, you know, I wrote about that two weeks ago or whatever it was now. 15 and 16 had a bunch of veteran guys who shared that with him. And the 17 team lost a lot of it. 18, they got some of it back. And last year they lost even more of it, it felt like. And it feels like for whatever reason, it's been yo-yoing a little bit here, but it felt like on Saturday that you know what? They had it back. I mean, they, they were they were one group and um, and they were focused on nothing but going out there and doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They were as prepared, and we said it before the, before the game, they were as prepared as you could possibly ask them to be given the circumstances, which is what we expected them to be, given everything they said. And, you know, they walked it. I mean, that's a that's a that's a rare that's a rare, rare thing in college football to say all those things and then to have them all happen. And, you know, now we'll see if you can back it up. And obviously they've got things defensively Austin to to work on uh as and, but at the same time though we said before the game right that we thought Minnesota was going to score some points and they did um new faces over there some new things happening but I think more of the same right where it was just a lot of guys waiting around for their for their time to get the get their name called and a lot of them showed up yeah if you want to nitpick anything you could probably talk about the run defense uh you know Michigan gave up some yards on the ground uh Aiden Hutchinson made the point today that look Minnesota was down they wanted to run the ball. If a team wants to go out there and run the ball when they're behind in the second half, fine. You know, that right. Michigan wasn't going to lose sleep about having a guy run for 100 yards uh, in a game where Minnesota was trying to play catch up. So, you know, there were some times that, that you could look at that and see, you know, maybe some guys in new positions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that defense last year, you know, they, they had guys like Jordan Glasgow, Josh Metellus, Cleek Hudson. Right who had played so much football and you know, maybe they weren't all the most dynamic, explosive athletes, but they were always in the right place. You know, fundamentally they were really good. Maybe you saw some, some instances yeah. in this game where fundamentally this defense hasn't quite gotten up to that standard yet. But you, I think the thing that's really exciting though, you also see maybe some top end athleticism right. with this defense that maybe they didn't have last year. You know, starting with a guy like Michael Barrett, mm. uh, to see him coming around the edge and putting that hit on Tanner Morgan that pops the ball in the air, uh, you know, weren't weren't a ton of plays like that last year. There were some, yep. you know, I mean, guys like Cam McGrone, we saw make plays at times like that last year. Uh, but that's the kind of thing I think that makes you kind of excited about the potential for this defense is the fundamentals will come. You know, we know with Don Brown, his defenses, they always tackle well. They're always fundamentally sound. So that's going to come. Uh, and the potential of guys like Michael Barrett to go out there and, and make those game-changing plays, really, I think, 
opens up a lot of possibilities for that defense. Yeah, there's a reason why this became the uh, Michael Barrett preview podcast for a couple months there. And <laughs> Come on the show, Mike. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, it's been two years of sort of waiting for this, I think, for Don Brown and for everybody else in a similar way that it was with Josh Uche, where, you know, they signed him. They knew that it was going to take a minute. They knew that, you know, they had to find the right place for him to live. Um, you know, I can remember thinking at one time that maybe they would make Michael Barrett an inside linebacker and let him run around at 4-5 the way that Devin Bush did or something like that. But they didn't. So he's he's a Viper. He's a hybrid. But, I mean, he's a guy that if you if you could get him sort of, you know, get him to retrain himself from an offensive player to a defensive player and put him in the right spot, uh, he's one of these kind of versatile – like Khalil Hudson was that way too. I mean, he came out of high school as a guy who played quarterback, running back, receiver, whatever, everything. You know, he did all this stuff. And, you know, slowly they sort of took all those other things away and, and, and allowed him to focus. And when he finally would focus in, you could see that the reaction was there. And, and Barrett, I think, is the same way. It's just that, you know, Michigan gets dinged a lot for its inability, and, and it's fair, but its inability to recruit sometimes the really crazy game-changing athletes defensively, right? Like, And they still have answers or questions to answer in, in the interior, especially up front. Um, but a guy like Michael Barrett, I think, and Josh Uche – I think really illustrate a lot of what Don Brown's sort of recruiting strategy has been in that if he can find a guy that has a couple of things about him that is, that are either really explosive or really unique and kind of different and has the right attitude, then in, you know, and patience, I guess, to, to sort of ride it out, then they can find guys that they can develop and turn them into, into players. Like nobody recruited Michael Barrett. That was not somebody that they were beating anyone's door down to get, Uh, you know, he was a late ad, I think some teams were recruiting him. I think Georgia Tech wanted him as an option quarterback, that kind of thing. So, you know, they've been able to find some guys like that, you know, and that's Jemin Green. I, you know, we'll see about Jemin Green and if, if he can turn into something more. But, I mean, he hung in there, and he was a guy that nobody nobody was really, you know, lining up to get when they got him too. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a both ways argument because when you look at Michigan against Ohio State, you say, well, you know, in order to beat them, you're going to have to have some of those game-changing athletes because sometimes – you know, eventually, always, you get to a point where you just can't teach that explosiveness. But to keep yourself, and this is what we've talked about, to keep yourself in that who's the second best team in the league conversation, mm-hmm. you need all these guys to max out. And I think Don Brown's track record in some of those areas is better than most people probably give him credit for, even though it doesn't translate against the top, top, you know, stuff everybody wants to see. But it shouldn't be ignored either. I mean, they've they've been able to sort of weave a lot of new pieces in new jobs and sort of sprinkle. I mean, we saw David Ajabo get a little bit of run. Uh, Julius Welshoff got a little bit of run. You know, these are guys that are project players that are, are sort of sprinkling in. And then suddenly you look up one day and you say, well, how did that guy just have eight tackles? I mean, this has happened a bunch of times. And I feel like Barrett's kind of the latest example of it uh, overall. Yeah, that question of who's the second best team in the Big Ten I feel like that question got a lot more interesting mm-hmm. after this weekend uh, because we saw and you know, we saw Wisconsin look really impressive in their first game. Graham Mertz, you know, tremendous mm-hmm. debut. I think he had one incompletion, uh, right. but now some questions about his availability going forward. Mm-hmm. Penn State goes on the road and loses a heartbreaker to Indiana. You know, Penn State. I think doubled up Indiana in yardage, but just some kind of weird stuff in that that game. But Penn State's got questions at receiver and some questions at running back. Uh, so yeah, you know Minnesota would have been in that conversation. I'm yeah. not sure I, I've got Minnesota in that conversation right now after after what I saw Saturday. So 
really, that's where I think it stands now is, you know, I'm not going to get so you know, out over my skis here today that I'm going to build it up like Michigan is, you know, going to go toe to toe with Ohio State. Uh, yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not there yet. Probably not close to that yet. But if we want to have the conversation about is Michigan now the second best team in the Big Ten, I think that's a legit conversation after what we saw Saturday. Yeah, and really the question comes down to what do what do you think the ceiling is for this program as it sits right now today, given the last you know handful of years? And I think that the fair answer to that is the ceiling is to be the second best team in the league. And to have yourself in position to load it up and get into a fight for 60 minutes and 0-0 seconds against Ohio State in the last game and see what happens. Like that. And some people who, who want to say that, no, the ceiling should be, you know, that they are out recruiting Ohio State and beating Ohio State 62-39 to on their way to an undefeated season. I got to tell you, we've never seen that before. So I don't know why where that would come from is something that you could base an expectation on. That's not realistic today. Maybe, you know, maybe you could argue Michigan's paying Jim Harbaugh enough money to where that should be realistic, but it's in today's what we're sitting here right now talking about, it's not. What is realistic though is what, you know, you just said Austin is is getting yourself in position to where you're scoring wins against teams like Minnesota. Uh you're beating someone like Wisconsin and Penn State and, you know, Michigan State has fallen off here, but you know, if they get themselves back around, they would be in that conversation as well. You know, maybe Indiana's in that conference. Taking care of your business on your way to the last game and giving yourself a chance and then figuring it out when it happens. That's that's it. That's got to be the whole thing here. And that's got to be the expectation and the kind of the ceiling of where you're looking at this whole thing to be. That's the, And the only way they're going to get to the next level of that would be to go about it that exact same plan and then find a way on that last game to, you know, solve an incredible riddle and maybe get a bounce or two your way. But otherwise... You know, you look around and I, I just, I, you know, I didn't see anybody other than Ohio State that I would point to in the Big Ten and say, well, Michigan's not going to be able to beat them. I mean, that's Milton being so comfortable and so calm and, in, in, you know, in charge there. And obviously, you know, like we said at the top, COVID changes everything and who knows how this is going to go. But if it continues to build from a start from its starting point and doesn't take any steps backward, then, I mean, they look, their, their forecast looks a lot better and a lot more clear than it did, you know, a week ago at this time. Yeah, you know, we, yeah, a week ago we were talking about our, you know, our preseason predictions. We were both at 5 and 3. We were talking about these four swing games on the schedule that looked on paper to be toss-ups pretty much. Well, you know, this game was not a toss-up. Uh no. Michigan was clearly the better team, which I didn't I didn't expect. I thought right. this when I looked at it, I thought it was going to be a pretty evenly matched game, and it and it wasn't. Michigan, top to bottom, was better than Minnesota. Uh, so now you go into week two, mm-hmm. Michigan State. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you talk about uh, the the plight of uh, of the Spartans after uh, that uh, pretty inauspicious beginning uh, to the Mel Tucker era there. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting <laughs> spot now for Michigan going forward because they're feeling really good. Michigan State can't be feeling very good at all, uh, but it is, you know, it, it is just just one week in a season that we know is going to be pretty unpredictable. Yeah, and that's the thing now is you've got to be able to if you're if you're Michigan, and maybe it'll help that you know they're not again they're they're not going to be able to go out and do all kinds of things that you'd normally get to do in a normal year and get all the pats on the back that you'd normally get in person. Maybe you'll get some pats on the back virtually, <laughs> right, or whatever. But 
you know, you've got to be able to keep yourself grounded and remember what got you to that level of execution on Saturday night because, you know, all those things that we just talked about, about how great they were, can look as frustrating as the stuff we saw early last year when you're not executing. So, you know, Michigan State's a team that is still trying to figure out, you know, how to get lined up right, is still trying to figure out how to get everybody who, I mean, they're still trying to figure out who their best 11 are on both sides of the ball firmly. I mean, I was at that game Saturday with Colton, and I know you guys will probably talk about it later in the week, but like, you know, that Michigan State right now is a program, or as a team, I guess, even in this year is kind of like, you know, I think in the middle of the game, I said something like, it feels like they're in like the second week of spring ball, like what normally would be, a, you know, spring practice. There was a couple... There'd be a moment or two where you'd be like, oh, that looks pretty good. That guy looks like he knows what he's doing. And then two seconds later, you'd be like, well, that was a disaster. And then it would be, you know, perfect storm, everything else. So with their staff and everything else, the way that they've, you know, all the stuff they've kind of had to deal with. And again, I, I think you can point to the summer, like you said earlier, Austin, that, that 10 weeks of just Michigan. They were practicing that day that the season was canceled, right? The August 11th. Mm-hmm. When I, I went up to the parking lot to, to see what was going to yeah. happen, and they all stayed out there and kept practicing. And people yep. were like, what are they doing? Like, what is this? <laughs> and Michigan State, you know, and I understood why Michigan State did this, but they went back to the weight room. They stopped practicing because I think at the time everyone was like, we're not going to have a season. This is going to mm-hmm. be, you know, maybe in the spring. So I think Mel Tucker was like, look, we haven't had any time with these guys. They haven't had any time with their weight staff. They can now get them back in there. So they sort of stopped practicing, and Michigan kept practicing and for Michigan right now, it's paying off. And for the teams that, you know, didn't really know what to do maybe in that scenario or maybe outside, you know, circumstances dictated otherwise, it's going to be an uphill climb. Michigan's not – they're not chasing from behind right now. Like last year when the year started, it just – it felt like, especially offensively, a team that was playing constant catch-up. Like a team that just didn't, for any number of reasons, they weren't able to use the offseason – and maximize it. You know what I mean? Like it, it just didn't seem like they got all of the efficiency that you would have wanted from either fall camp or spring ball or the summer or all three combined. And they were able to get that from this weird thing <laughs> where everybody had to figure it out. I don't know. I mean, Harbaugh's a weird guy. Maybe this, maybe this helps out Harbaugh more than it hurts others. I have no idea, but that's what it felt like on Saturday. It's just a very, very prepared team. Uh, a team that was ready to roll in a really uncertain situation, and Minnesota just, you know, frankly wasn't. Yeah, we'll get into the Michigan State matchup more as as the week goes on, but I think the, the parting thought from me for today, and I mentioned this to you earlier, it just, everything around Michigan's program feels different this year. You know, it just feels lighter. It feels looser. You know, we were talking to Jim Harbaugh on the Zoom call, and you know, he was telling stories, you know, about the pregame scene in the locker room. And we get done, and you know, he's not even finished. He has more he wants to say. Like I was thinking, well, boy, that didn't happen very often last right. year. I mean, yeah. last year you, it felt like any time we were in there, you know, th- there was just this kind of tension yep. in the air, and this, you know, kind of this pressure hanging over the program. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know where that came from obviously there was a lot of expectations for for this team last year you know Shea Patterson it, it was his last season you know Donovan Peoples-Jones Tariq Black you know the, these guys who had you know come in with such expectations that hadn't really been fulfilled uh, and it just felt like that was hanging over the whole season no matter what no matter what they did you know, it just it didn't a lot of times I was 
came away from stuff thinking like, are these guys having fun? Are they, you know, is this yeah. fun for them? Are they enjoying this, or is this, is this just like torture for them? Uh, and I have to say, and it you know, it's different because we haven't been doing any of this stuff in person, so you don't get the same feel that you do when you're standing face to face with somebody in a room. But I have to say, just from the Zoom stuff we've done. It just it feels like guys are having fun this year. You know, it feels a lot looser. Um, and you know, Jim Harbaugh made a comment last week or the week before uh, about how much he liked the chemistry of, of the team, the togetherness of the team. And sometimes that's just you know, sometimes that's yeah. just coach speak. You don't typically hear a coach come out and say, "Yeah, our chemistry sucks. It's terrible." Um, but I do wonder if maybe that was rooted in something true that this team you know just the attitude of this team uh has allowed everybody to just kind of take a deep breath go about their business it just feels like kind of a you know some pressure has been lifted off the program there's they're playing free and easy yeah i think that you nailed it right there that's the best way to put it is you know in my experience and i'm sure in yours as well we've been doing this a long time the best college teams are the ones that have a bunch of guys who can you know, block out everything else and then load it up and just let it go when, when a game comes, right? The teams that can just load it up, let it rip, and see what happens. And it's not, you know, oh, God, if I take one wrong step on this thing, the whole thing's going to crumble or whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, that was what last year felt like. It felt like a team that was trying to convince itself that it knew what it was doing when in reality it didn't. And this is a team that has blocked out all that other stuff, you know, basically because they have no other choice. And they've loaded it up and let it go. I mean, Harbaugh said it after the game. All he told them to do was, I want you to, I want you to let it rip. I want you to just let it all go and let's see what happens. And it uh, it felt like a lot of guys having a lot of fun. I think that that's probably the best way you can really you can really frame it. It was just not a lot of worrying, not a lot of panicking. And, you know, I always tie it back to Milton. I think that, you know, the quarterback and those scenarios – when you when you have a guy who is not faking being calm, right? Like who's genuinely calm. Like we talked to him after the game, and it, it was like we were talking to him after you know a random Tuesday. It was just yeah. the same. He's the same. And when you have a guy who is genuinely like that, and they are rare. It's not something that is what I would say that we see every day. Um, it changes a lot. It changes a lot about everyone's confidence. And I just, uh, there was a vibe around Joe Milton for a couple years here, uh, building into this year that, you know, maybe this was going to be something that they could make it work. And it, if if he was able to sort of live up to his end of the bargain and execute, then it was going to be better for everyone around, you know, everyone. And, you know, that was the belief inside the program uh, in January when the calendar turned. I don't know if I would say it was a certainty. I don't think they knew that for sure. But, you know, you talk to the right people in a quiet moment and they would have told you, you know, if, if, if Joe Milton can turn a corner here and continue to progress and show us that he can execute, then we can build an offense that's going to be different. And but, you know, he's got to go do it. And I think that was the important thing. And, you know, so far, I don't know how you nitpick it. I mean, he looked great. And, um, you know, Michigan suddenly looks like a team that uh, has a lot uh, to offer uh, as we go through this very unique and weird and who knows what will happen next uh, season. All right, folks, thanks for checking out The Beat. If you were a listener to the RPM 
podcast. Glad you made your way over here and found us at the beat. We will have another show at some point later in the week. I'm sure we'll bring uh, Colton Pouncey in the mix and talk a little bit more about Michigan State. I will also be on the big football show with Colton on Thursday to dig more into uh, all the all the teams around the Big Ten, so you can check that out as well. That's a, that show is five days a week with a rotating cast of writers from The Athletic, so if you're a Big Ten football fan, check that out. Yeah, Michigan fans, ride the train, enjoy it, ride the wave uh, as long as it lasts, uh, and we will be here uh, whatever happens to break it down, so thanks for checking out the show. Say I